Well, we are starting a series we've titled 40. 40 is a unique number in the Bible. It's spoken of over 100 times, somewhere between 130 and 150, depending on different ways that you, you view this. Typically, in our Western mind, when we hear a number, we think quantitatively. What does that mean? How long is this? How big is this? To the Eastern mind, the biblical mind, the Jewish mind, it's qualitative. It's a symbol. There's, it's something that it stands for. Now, specifically, as we look at 40, its primary role in Scripture is one of testing, now, I want to be really clear that it's not testing like we would traditionally think. It's not as if we take a test and we pass or fail, that God's trying to catch us at something and evaluate how we're doing. Testing, the Hebrew word for it, nasah, literally means to raise you up. In other words, the trials and tests that we go through are intended to breathe new life and new transforming power into us. So I want you to get a picture for this and make no mistake, Lent itself is called a season of 40 days of prayer and fasting. Now there's a lot of history to Lent. It's over church history, it's had different iterations and different times. When you looked at it in its entirety and went Sunday to Sunday, it was considered 36 days and then they added it to Ash Wednesday. And so now it's 40 between Ash Wednesday and Easter. And just so you know, for those of you who count, it will actually be 46 days. The reason it's only 40 is during the season of Lent, when you get to Sunday, we always celebrate the resurrection. So while we live in prayer and fasting, every Sunday doesn't count. You know why? Because we constantly have to be reminded, even in our prayer and fasting, that Jesus rose and it's a new day. So I want you to begin with that in mind. And what we're going to do is look at some different expressions of 40, different times it comes out in the scripture. And where we're beginning this week in the series is with Noah and the ark. So we're going to look at this story together and see how 40 relates to it specifically. There's a lot more we could look at than we will. But let me begin with when God has Noah get into the ark, and we'll backtrack some as we go through this. So what happens, this is in Genesis 6 through chapter 9, we're going to be in chapter 7 to start, is at the beginning he tells him, you know what, get your wife, get your kids, get two of every kind of animal, and then he says seven of every clean animal and put them in the ark after he's already made this ark. This has already happened when we're at this point. Now, the seven of the clean kinds are so that he can offer sacrifices to God and also provide for his family so they can eat during this time they'll be in the ark. And then, through all this, God is going to speak to Noah when it's time. And this is what it says and what he says to Noah. Seven days from now, I'm going to send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. That's how long it's going to rain. And I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded. Now we'll come back to the, the power of this because I know it raises questions. Oh, God took everybody else out. What does that mean? How is God loving? How do we deal with all that? We'll come back to it. I just want you to look at the 40 for a minute. And as I said, 40 in the Bible is significant. In fact, there are lots of examples of this. For example, Ezekiel uh, is asked to lay on one side for 40 days, kind of in torment as a way of giving physical representation of living and realizing the sins of Israel. So God has him do this for 40 days. Jonah warns Nineveh. We hear of Jonah and the whale. He goes to the city that's in a mess and gives him 40 days. Elijah, Moses, and Jesus all pray and fast for 40 days. You're getting the picture. Jesus, after he rises from the dead, is on the earth for 
40 days. I want you to just see the pictures of this and they're not all of them. When the Bible looks at a generation, it is actually 40 years. Now, I just want you to see there's lots of pictures. Today, we're gonna begin this journey of 40 in the Bible of this idea that we're joining in the kind of the process of Jesus going to his death and resurrection as we look at each of these 40s. So we start with Noah today. I'll just walk you through where we're going. Next week, we're gonna look at Moses and the 40 years he spends as a shepherd. The following week, we're gonna look at Moses who does 40 days of intercession. There's some powerful pictures in that for us. After that, we're gonna look at Israel having 40 days of spying out Canaan. Then the next week, we're gonna look at Israel having 40 years wandering in the desert and what that means. And ultimately on Palm Sunday, we'll look at Jesus 40 days in the wilderness. So I wanted to give you a picture of where we're going, this idea that we want God to bring his transforming power to us. And just as he did with Noah saying, it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And what he's gonna do We want to engage in what might he want to say to us and do for us in this season. Now, this begs the question, why did God do this? What brought this about? Why would he actually take out so many? And what went on to lead to this place? So let me take you back to Genesis chapter 6 because it's described of why God did this and what happened. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of thought of the human race and the human heart was only evil all at the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings and the earth and his heart was deeply troubled by this. Now what I want you to see specifically in here is just starting with this. This is what it's speaking of of their hearts. That every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was what? Evil. Now, the reason this is significant is it gives us a picture. There's a this Hebrew word for this is yatzer ra, and it means inclined towards evil. Now, when God made the heavens and the earth, all of the animals and man and woman, it says again and again that what he made was what? Good, yatzer to. So the way this was understood in the ancient world by the Jews was that God gave us this inclination towards good And through sin and our desire to be like him instead of be his, the inclination towards evil began to stir in us and overtake us ultimately. I want you to get a picture of this, but what I want you to see in this is God's actual response. We often talk about God as if he just got mad and he took everybody out. How does it describe God's emotions? He regretted, it means he was pained over this, that he made us, and his heart was deeply troubled. By the way, for those of you who don't think emotions matter, these are God's emotions. God has heartbreak over what he's seen. Now, we dismiss kind of his kindness in this, but let me take you to something a little earlier in here. During this early part of chapter six, it says that God is so disheartened that he will number humanity's days 120 years. Now, there's a lot of conjecture about what this means. The interesting things are people live longer than that even after the flood. Noah's kids live longer, he lives longer. So it doesn't necessarily mean that. It appears that if you look at the timeline of Noah's birth of kids and what this says, it's around 120 years that he was building the ark. So what I want you to get the picture of is, imagine God's heartbroken. He asked Noah to build the ark. Do you think those 120 years of them watching it should have been a time that they could have responded? It is. In fact, in 1 Peter 3, it's a letter that Peter writes to the church, he actually speaks about this. 
He says, following the resurrection of Jesus, he descended. It's where we get the idea of descending into hell. He descended to the place where people had died that had never heard about him to preach to them. And specifically, it speaks of the people of Noah's day. And it says this, God waited patiently while Noah built the ark. In other words, God's heart burned for those people to respond positively from this evil inclination and be transformed. So I want you to at least get a picture before we even get into the meaning for Noah and his family, which we're gonna go into, that God's heart was broken even to bring this judgment. And he still brings this beautiful redemptive thread of saving Noah and his family. And in case you don't realize God's redemptive heart, we always kind of give this idea that there's God of the Old Testament and God of the New, and it's the God of all. But let me give you another picture. When Nineveh is also acting evil, God wants to send Jonah to there. Jonah wants no part of it because he doesn't think God should spare these these Ninevites. So he hides and runs. That's how he ends up in the whale and God brings him back. Don't, don't mess with God on that stuff, by the way. I'm not going to do what you tell me. Oh, yes, you will. Let me just give you a whale and I'll take you back. So he gets back and guess what? He preaches that they should repent from the wickedness they are. And guess how long he gives them? Oh, come on, how long do you think he gives them? 40 days, well played. And guess what? They turn. What I want you to see in this is God's broken heart for the wickedness and the evil and the brokenness in our world. God longs to bring change out of it. And it ultimately finds its way in God sending Jesus to live, to die, and to rise and bring new life out of it. Now, I wanted you to see this just as the heart and the beginning of it. What transpires from here and what happens next is what's powerful in the story. So they're in the, in the ark. It's 40 days and nights that it rains, but it continues on. In fact, now after the rain, there's this whole long season they have to wait, a significant amount of days. After that, Noah finally sends out a dove. It comes back with nothing. He waits a while, sends it out again. It comes back with an olive branch. He still waits a while, sends it out again, and it finally doesn't come back. And after waiting a while, he finally opens the door, and they begin to come out. Now, any idea how long that approximately is? And I'm not asking you to respond. I just want you to consider it. By most scholars, it's at least a year. Why I tell you that is the season of 40 days that's given has a beginning to a much longer change process. And the reason I start there is we enter the season of Lent for 40 days but it's a time of transformation we want to move in our lives throughout the year, not just for that 40 days. During this time, what happens is the waters of chaos overcome the earth. In case you don't realize it, the waters of chaos are similar to the creation narrative when it says water abounded over the earth and there was chaos. Now, any idea, just think about this, how the waters begin to dissipate. This is what it says. God remembered Noah and he sent the wind to dissipate the waters. Do you know what the wind is in the scriptures? It's the Holy Spirit. 
It's an image for us of transformation, that Noah is representative of humanity, that God wants to redeem. He wants to help us put to death the sin and the wickedness in life and bring new life out of it. We would call it a recreation, a new way and a new heaven and a new earth and a new way of living. In fact, this is how it's described in Genesis when they come out. This is what God says to Noah and he actually speaks of it three times this way. God said to Noah, come out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons and their wives bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground. Why? So that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the creation narrative, this should be familiar language. First command in the Bible, you know what it is? Be fruitful and multiply. God, in the original creation, creates every kind of animal, creates humanity, it's good, and he has some out and he says, be fruitful and fill the earth. God is giving a new creative narrative right here. Guess what? Through this death of wickedness, I'm gonna bring new life out of it. And by the way, it's not Noah alone, which is, tends to be how we see things. Here's this Christmas or this Lent season. Let's all rally together. I'll do it on my own. You do it on your own. He says, Noah, it's your family. Do you know who God wants to bring through this season? Not just you or you or you, us. We are a faith family. God says, I am taking and doing a new work to breathe life into this new family of mine. Now make no mistake, this is an image and a foreshadowing of what Jesus will come to do. It's to be a picture for us. In fact, as I spoke of 1 Peter writing this letter to the church, he says this very image as he speaks about Jesus' life and death and resurrection, of going down and even speaking and preaching to those who've been tormented, he then speaks of the waters, those waters that flooded the earth. And this is how he compares it. He said, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from your body, not a physical activity, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. What does it do? It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus came to forgive our sins. That's the substitutionary part where he dies on the cross. But out of it comes life, new life. And out of it, he gives us his spirit, the wind, to breathe his transforming power into us. Paul literally says that as followers of Jesus were to keep in step with the spirit, to live in a new way, to put to death sin, to let it have the waters overflow the sin patterns in our own lives and by the power of spirit breathe new life to us. That's what Paul calls us to. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what the story of Noah inspires us towards. It's a, it's a beautiful idea that we journey in from Lent. It's a journey from death to life with Jesus. Now, here's the caution I want to give you. We tend to think of it as a one-time activity. Jesus saved us. We had the Spirit. It's all good. And I'm not trying to have you be concerned that that's not true in its definition overall, but I hope you realize the idea of conversion and transformation is an ongoing process throughout our lives. Let me use Peter as an example. Peter discovers who Jesus is as a disciple, 
And actually he tells us, Jesus does, that he asks Peter the question, who do you say I am? And he says, I think you're the Messiah, the son of God. He has this transforming revelation. Jesus says, it's not by flesh and blood, but by my spirit that you even see this. Already he's beginning to be transformed. We walk all the way through and we have yet another moment of disintegration when he denies Jesus. Jesus again restores him and says, now I want you to feed my sheep to be part of my world reclamation project. And we would say he's then given the spirit, therefore he's all good now. Now let's move into the book of Acts. Peter thinks God only wants to lead the Jews to him, not the Gentiles. He doesn't even think he should eat with a Gentile. And Jesus in a vision in a dream shows him you got it wrong. I want you to love these other people. Do you understand that's an ongoing transformation? And it would continue throughout his life. That's why Paul says things like, I'm the worst of sinners, why I do what I don't want to do. We understand that it isn't a one moment activity, it's an ongoing transformation in our lives. So for some, it's discovering Jesus for the first time, but for all of us, it's saying, how in this season do I enter like Noah did the ark into this place of quietness, and begin to ask God to put to death in the waters of chaos, put to death sins in me. And out of the Spirit's wind, breathe new life into me. That's what God wants to do in the season in us. And I want to tell you, whether you've been a Christian for a year or 50 years, this is a process that continues throughout our lives. It's been a weird week for me getting ready for this. Um, and I don't mean it like uh, I'm a prophet, but it's interesting sometimes that God seems to give you the pain of what you're trying to teach or the reality of it when you're preparing. And I've just felt this weightiness of sin in my own life. I felt the weightiness of God's holiness and his heartbrokenness. You know, that's a part I don't think we often contemplate. Sin is horrible. And it breaks God's heart. And make no mistake, we live in a world right now where the idol of our culture is acceptance. We have, we have taken the idea of loving people and said what that means is we endorse and accept every way we live in any way we want to. And we dismiss God's call to be transformed into his image and bring good, not evil, into this world. And make no mistake, I'm not challenging you to say that bad culture out there. I'm challenging us to say that bad culture in here. What is it in me that God wants to put to death in this season? It was weird as I was getting ready for the week and even asking myself, how can I slow down? What can I live differently? Jane and I talking about how can that be different in our home? We've been asking the question even with the staff and it hit me. This is not a fun thing. It's not like it's woo, yippee, but it's good. And the goodness will lead to a deeper joy than we can imagine. But we can't pretend in our kind of apathetic way towards faith. The season calls us like it called Noah, like God called Noah, to say, let's seek him. Let's ask God to bring the waters over our wickedness and sinfulness and mess. And let's ask God through his spirit to breathe life as he rolls that back. And out of that water would come new life for us and continued rebirth and continued transformation that deepens us. 
You know, I don't want you to look back and say, this is how mature I am. I want you to look ahead and go, is God continuing to move in my life? It's not where you've been, it's where you're going. God wants to continue the transforming work. Jesus is inviting us, join the journey from death to life through him and with him. Let's pray together. God, awaken us to your spirit. Awaken us in our own lives to the things you want to sort out. Awaken us together, God, that we wouldn't just say it's me, but it's us. God, mercifully begin to reveal places in our own lives that you want to bring death to, that you would bring new life out of. Teach us what it means to be dependent on you, that we wouldn't rely on ourselves, that we would ask you to meet us, to help us, to free us, Lord, that you would part the waters and we'd move from death to life in new areas. God, grow us in you, that you would sanctify us through and through. And I pray as we enter the season, you'll lead us moment by moment and day by day, all the way up to the cross and to the resurrection in a new way in the season. I pray this in your name. Amen.